are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I believe in the power of God's Word today. It's not limited to the messenger, thank God. It's not limited to a setting or a holiday or even our state of mind on a particular day. So if today is full of activity and things that you've planned to celebrate that you've been looking forward to for a long time, the Lord has something to say to you. And for those of us here who today is rather empty, there are empty chairs at lunch, I want you to know that Jesus offers hope for you today in his word. Amen. I turn your attention to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Chapter 2, I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 9 and verses 15 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree, That is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. With the Lord's help today, I want to preach to you on this thought. Three gardens. Three gardens. You can be seated. Time began in a garden. Think about that. Here we read the beginning of all things. God began with nothing. And look at what he came up with. That in itself is a message of hope for you and I today. Look what God can do with nothing but himself. The earth was without form. It was void, the Bible says. There was darkness. All there was was the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us in the passage that we just read that as God was completing creation, he planted a garden. I love that. Do we have any aspiring gardeners here? Do we have any legit gardeners here? I mean, we have Bill and Mickey Gardner for one. (laughs) But I'm talking, you can actually grow things. You know what you're doing. I love to work in the dirt. I'm in my happy place, you guys, when I'm outside with my hose and I'm planting flowers and uh, watering my ferns and I'm pulling weeds. It's therapeutic to me and it's cheaper than therapy. So I spend as much time as I can in the dirt outside. And it is understood in our home 
that if mommy is outside working in her garden, leave her alone. <laughs> Father Tom knows because I've told him, it's in y'all's best interest that I go outside right now. <laughs> and that no one follows me there for anything unless there's blood or smoke. <laughs> leave mama alone. It relaxes me. It focuses me. It makes me feel close to God, to be real honest. God speaks to me when I'm working in my flower bed on Springleaf Drive. And someday, hint, hint, Tom, I'm going to have a real garden. I'm going to grow me some tomatoes and some cucumbers like my nana did and my granny Noel did. When I visited um, Nana as a child, they lived in St. Louis, and she would say to us girls, let's go get a tomato. Let's go pick a cucumber for our salad. And my mind was blown. Nana grows food. She's amazing. She can do anything. But seriously, I have had many spiritual moments, watering plants, removing dead things from my flowers, from my bushes. I know that Mickey Gardner knows what I'm talking about because we've talked about Crying in our flower beds while the Lord talks to us. But in the summer months, I have a beautiful routine. And one of the first things I do in the morning is I try to get up before everybody else wakes up. And I go outside and I water my ferns and I get in the dirt a little bit. And it's a sacred time. It's a special time. But almost a year ago today, my glorious alone time was interrupted by an unwanted visitor. And I'm waiting for his picture to appear. There he is. Daring me to go outside and to disturb his peace in my garage. I screamed so loud, Tom heard me upstairs. It was the last thing on earth I expected that day. And so here it is, if you've been waiting for it, this is the part of my Mother's Day message where I run the bus over Tom and I put it in reverse and I do it one more time for good measure. So picture it, here I am, a maiden in distress. And here he comes and stands beside me to assess the situation. And he was not quick to offer me any help. No solution. He just backed up as if to say, well, good luck with that. And I'm like, so many things are happening in my brain at this point. And I'm like, you're not going to do anything about this? Are you serious? Like, I don't do enough to clean up messes around here? I mean, we have established the fact that when the girls are sick... I do everything that is required to clean up on aisle 10, okay? I do everything. And so here I am. This snake is staring at me, and my husband's, like, backing up, like, well, I got to go to the church, so uh, let me know how that works out for you. And I'm like, my guardian? Our protector. The priest of our home. The one I am submitted to, till death to his part, is just going to pull on out and head to Ken Road. He, he actually, like, expected me to deal with it. And honestly, I almost went Medea on him. I was just like, I got so mad so fast. 
And so I had to say, oh, oh no, I'm not. I'm not dealing with this. You're going to do it for me. And so as my Mother's Day present to all of you, from the Ellis Family Archives, I have a video of how this went down. There he is. We have sound. If we don't, I'll give commentary. So at this point, I'm saying, honey, why don't you get a shovel? Why? Why? Why a little rake? Why are we doing this? It's <laughs> I mean, he's dancing with the snake. What is he doing? Still don't have it. He still doesn't have it, folks. Keep videoing right now. I'm running. My hero. There it is. Drink it in. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. That snake has absolutely nothing to do with this message, but I. I've been saving it for a year, obviously. <laughs> God made a garden. <laughs> and it is in this garden that he placed Adam. And it's concerning the garden that God gives Adam his assignment. Work it and keep it. God told Adam to cultivate it, to farm it, to look after the garden, to guard it, to guard this place called Eden. And the Bible seems to indicate that it is in the Garden of Eden that Eve is created and given to Adam as a helper. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world, in an environment beyond comprehension. We certainly have nothing to compare it to in our world. No doubt this garden was lush, it was green, it was full of vibrant color. It was probably weed-free. But there were two trees of great significance to Adam and Eve, and I believe to us this morning. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was very clear that every tree in Eden was available to them for food, except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not intended for their consumption. Here in Eden, there was no such thing as evil. 
At least, Adam and Eve were unaware of it. This was God's plan. This was what God wanted for Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve did not listen, as we know. They tasted of that forbidden tree, and for the first time, humanity experienced evil and the pain that comes with it. And it was only by their choosing that they had experienced it. Evil and the pain that it brings would now be a part of the human experience. God had tried to protect them from it. There was no guessing what he had wanted. God had said yes to everything except this one tree. And tragically for all of us, it was that tree that the serpent talked Eve into eating from that day. Eve had been deceived. The Bible says Adam had not. And now the first couple had experienced firsthand evil and the pain that comes with it. And humanity has been suffering that reality ever since. Pain and suffering cause us to ask questions for which our soul, the deepest parts of who we are, demand an answer. Why in the world, in the world that has been fallen for so long, do we still struggle to accept and cope with the difficulties of life? For it is all you and I have ever known. But Adam and Eve, they knew better. Can you imagine the regret they lived with every day? They had known what it was like to live a guilt-free, pain-free existence. They had known what it was like to walk with God unencumbered, in paradise, undistracted by the cares of this life, unburdened by the disappointments of life. But you and I live in a world very different from that first garden. And I propose to you today that this Garden of Eden is where our journey begins. Like Adam and Eve, all of us have to heed the voice of God and come out of hiding. Where are you? God had asked them. Who told you you were naked? The questions and the fear that sin had brought into their lives, they were unable to answer on their own. They could not find adequate clothing for their bodies. They hid from the presence of God, even though it had been all they had ever known. But evil had made them feel unworthy. And what they had experienced in tasting that fruit had driven a wedge between them and God. They could not fix it, and they could not cope with it. So they hid from the presence of their creator. But Jesus has found many of us in this room today. He came to where we are. He came looking for us, not to just make us feel better, but to change us, to be more like him, to get us back to his original plan. In the first garden, God calls our names, and we have to respond. We have to come out of hiding. We have to let go of sin. We have to let go of the pain that sometimes we hold on to so tightly in order to reach for what God offers us. You see, God made them close. He removed the shame of their decision, that need to try to fix things on their own and go into hiding. That was now gone because God had stepped in. And so today, if you are still hiding... In that first garden, you can be set free this morning on Mother's Day. 
All of us need a savior. All of us are sinners. We are imperfect. We are all flawed. We are unable to fix all that is wrong in our lives, no matter how hard we may try. Jesus is here today, and he is calling every one of our names. Come out of hiding. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear his presence. You don't have to shrink back at his pending judgment because he wants to cover your life today with his great love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love, God's love, removes that fear. It casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been made perfect, has not been made mature in God's love. We love because he first loved us. God wants to cover every person in this room today with his amazing love. And because Adam and Eve's decision had thwarted God's plan, God had to protect them from the finality of eternity. And he did this by removing them from that wonderful paradise. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God moved in immediately. To protect humanity from being doomed to eternal isolation from him. And when he forced Adam and Eve out of the garden that day, it was not out of judgment. It was out of protection. Because there had to be a new plan. God had to make a way for us to be put back in right relationship with him. And that is what the Bible is all about. How God gets us back to Eden. To a place of perfection and complete communion with him. And God spoke to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I'm going to read it to you in the message. God said, I'm declaring war between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, Eve. You will wound his heel. God, in essence, promised Eve that she'd be avenged someday. For generations... Eve would be blamed for the injustice of this world, for all that is hard and cruel. But someday, God said in Eden, it will be through a woman that things will be made right. The solution is going to come from a woman. Sure, it was a woman who introduced sin into this world, but Almighty God chose another woman named Mary. To introduce into the world the only one who could take care of sin for all generations. We hear people say in the church, I've read the back of the book and we win. And that is true. But Bishop Dad used to say, you know what, I read the front of the book and we win. By Genesis 3, it's all been decided. We will be victorious. The Lord wants someone to know today that no matter what you've done... Maybe it is all your fault. 
Maybe you are in a cycle of sin, of devastation. He can change it today. Here in Genesis, in the first three chapters, all seems lost until you get to the end of that third chapter. And God promises humanity victory, victory over sin, victory over the enemy, victory over ourselves to Eve. God said, Satan will wound your head, but you'll wound his heel. But this plan would hinge on another struggle in another garden, a garden Jesus spent some of his last hours on earth in called Gethsemane. The fate of the world laid in the hands of a tormented man that night. We cannot imagine the anguish that Jesus felt when he prayed in Gethsemane. The weight of our sin, every generation of humanity was resting on him that night. Mark tells us about this struggle Jesus had in his gospel in chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. I'm going to read it to you in the message because I believe you can hear the humanity of Jesus. They came to an area called Gethsemane, and Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. And going a little ahead, Jesus, God in the flesh, fell to the ground and he prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me, but please Not what I want. What do you want? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was a man. He was not a superhuman. He was in agony. He was suffering to the point that he was feeling death. And in his humanity, Jesus felt as though he could not bear the agony that was approaching him. And here we see Jesus Christ struggling to do exactly what he had come to do. He was overwhelmed in that moment by the plan from Genesis chapter 3. And all of us will find ourselves in this second garden. A garden of struggle, of deep pain, even despair. It doesn't seem right that we must be tested. We have to go through things that are not fair. And in the words of those great philosophers of the 1960s, the Shirelles, Mama said there'd be days like this. (laughs) There'll be days like this, my Mama said. I know the good book says... It rains on the just and the unjust. I know that it's not always going to be great, but why Gethsemane? Why this constant struggle? Why this deep despair when I believe in God? I believe in his power in my life. This just can't be right. There's got to be another way. You see, we long for the perfection of Eden. 
the perfection of that first garden. In her life-giving book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Lisa Turkhurst makes this powerful observation. The human heart was created in the context of the perfection of the Garden of Eden, but we don't live there now. This is why our instincts keep firing off the lie that perfection is possible. We have pictures of perfection etched into the very DNA of our souls. This is why we think perfection is possible. This is where our demand for justice comes from. Our spiritual DNA was created in a place of perfect peace and perfect contentment. And that is what we long for. We are homesick for where we came from, that first garden. C.S. Lewis said the fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Amen. Amen. And so you're right, Lisa. It's not supposed to be this way. But God wants me to tell every person in this congregation today, it won't always be this way. Time began in a garden. Everything God planned changed in the first garden. But what Jesus did in the second garden made it possible for you and I to go to the third garden. This life here on earth is preparation for another garden called heaven. Revelation chapter 22 verse 14 says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Revelation 7 verses 13 through 17 says, Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 say, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 says, And the night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. In closing today, I don't know which garden of the first two that you find yourself in today. But all of us will go between Eden and Gethsemane as long as we're living on this earth. We have to deal with our sin. 
not just one time when we give our lives to the Lord, but every day till sin isn't an issue anymore because there's coming a day when it won't be. We have to come out of hiding. We have to give our lives over to the Lord. We have to make that decision. All of us are going to face trials. We'll be tempted to give up on God's plan for us because the pain seems too great at times. The disappointments and the frustrations are more than we think we can bear. If Jesus felt that way in the Garden of Gethsemane, who are you and I to think that our experience would be any different from his? I don't have all the answers to your questions today. I really wish that I did. I would love to tell you that at some point in your walk with God, you will graduate from the first two gardens and just be coasting, waiting for the third one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree on which Jesus laid his life, we have to face those trees in the gardens that we live in. But this is what I do know today. The first two gardens prepare us for the last garden, for eternity. We cannot understand what that means forever. No stopping, no changing, uninterrupted eternity with Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, we have to walk away from sin. In order to go to that third garden, we have to allow the Lord to cover us. We have to lay down our will like Jesus did. And we have to take up our cross on the way there. The truth is, it's war between here and heaven. You will not get to heaven by accident. Gardens don't grow by accident. If you're going to be a gardener, it has to be a priority to you. You have to work at it. You have to tend it like Adam was told to do. It requires planning. It requires pruning. It requires maintenance to take care of a garden. And so it is in our journey through this life. But this is what I am convinced of today, that we can do whatever it takes here when we are convinced of what it'll be like there. Which garden are you in today? I invite you to stand with me. There is hope for you. That tree that came out of Gethsemane takes care of that first tree. Jesus conquered sin. And the cross makes it possible for you and I to, when it's time, approach the tree of life like John the Revelator saw. Blessed are those that keep his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. And they may enter in the gates to that city.
And so today, I want to invite everyone in this room to come to this altar. Because my prayer for you today is that whether it's that you're just struggling in that first garden, maybe sin is the problem. Maybe it's just that you're hiding from God. You don't want to commit to God completely for whatever reason. Maybe it's just a sense of your own shame and need like Adam and Eve had that day. Maybe you are wrestling in the garden of your own Gethsemane where there are things that God is requiring you to go through that do not seem fair and do not seem possible for you to survive and come out okay. But Jesus gave us such an amazing example when he said, not what I want, but what you want. And how can we say that to God? Because we understand that this is not all there is. How could Paul, one of the greatest men who ever lived, be beaten and broken and imprisoned? History tells us that he was beaten to the point of death. He had some kind of death-like experience for what he did for God. How could Paul endure that? Wouldn't he be upset at God to say, why would you do this to me? I have given up everything. I have given up my entire life to do what you've called me to do. But it was Paul who would say, to be absent from the body is to be present for the Lord. He was the one that had the perspective to say, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. It was Paul who would assure the church in Thessalonica that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the angel, with the trump of God, and that those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord Because we are looking for that blessed hope, for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's the one that said, if I had hope in this life alone, I would be of all people most miserable. And so if you are miserable today, you're miserable in Eden, you're miserable in Gethsemane, you're hurting on behalf of other people who are stuck in the war of these gardens. I invite you to come today and be comforted by the fact that it's going to be worth it because this is not all there is. You and I go through these experiences to prepare us for that garden. Would you pray with me now? Raise your hands, please. I invite everybody come to this altar today. Heaven is for all of us. The comfort, the promise, the hope, we all need reminded of it. Oh God, I wish so much today, Lord, that I could take away the pain and the suffering on this side of eternity. I wish so much that I had some kind of formula to help people go beyond these human experiences. But I understand, Lord, that you moved in in Eden immediately. Not because you were judging Adam and Eve, not because you were mad at them, that you were done with them, but you stepped in because you knew you had to get them out of eternity because their sin would damn them to a hell, would keep them away from you forever. And so you stepped in and you promised the woman vengeance 
You promised that another solution, another plan was at work. And you came to this earth and you suffered. Your word says that you were tempted in every way that we are and that you sympathize with our weaknesses. And so God, for those of us who are struggling in Gethsemane, to say, Lord, not what I want in this life, but what you want, I will take up my cross. I will follow you because I know that I was made for more than this. I was created to enjoy that perfection that I long for and that you've made it possible for me. Would you now lift your hands? The Lord is here in a powerful way, not because of anything that I've done, but because he is reaching for people in a very specific way, a very important way. Oh God, do what only you can do in these moments. Let's search for the Lord right now. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.